just for instance, for, for the times to say that they don't believe black lives matter, would you be able to then be forthcoming? And this is 2020 and we're still having that same debate, right? Welcome to the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry from 97.5 KDEE, and this podcast for boys and men of color addresses the importance of mental health and wellness. Each week, we deliver inspirational stories and life hacks to reduce disparities, remove stigma, heal trauma, and to end prolonged suffering. I was just taking a few notes down. Lack of, of confidence in other people keeping a confidence. Um, Dr. Houston, you just mentioned an economic barrier. Are, are those two of the reasons why not just men of color, but men in general have been so slow or much slower than women to seek mental health treatment? I mean, I know we're less likely to go to the doctor for anything. So does mental health, just is that just a component of that? And or are there other things we've identified economic stuff? You might not be able to afford it. Some of the historical things. Are there other reasons why men in general have been more reluctant to seek mental health treatment? Well, well, I think that it was more uh, along the lines of, you know, we're going to compartmentalize it, we're going to stuff it and really not think of anything else, you know, outside of the economics, because really we couldn't even think outside the economics um, because it was right in our face all the time. And so you're just in survival mode versus trying to think about getting well. You're just trying to make it that day. So uh, when economics do come in as a factor, you know, you're looking at um, embedded coping mechanisms at, at that time where people are, people have learned to cope a certain way mm. and that's all that they know. So that's all that they're going to do uh, unless they're exposed to other strategies or other interventions of ways of being able to cope. They're just not going to do that. Other thoughts on that? Powerful word. I, I, think, uh, I think from a historical standpoint, you know, and uh, for a black man to go to a psychiatrist, I mean, who, so we talked about confidence. We talked about the financial burden. So you're going to pay your money, take a day off of work and go to a psychiatrist who may not be um, of your background and understand the language you're speaking. And, that lack of trust in healthcare, whether it be for your cardiovascular disease or your mental health, I think those go hand in hand. It's a, it's a microcosm in healthcare, but it's still holistic for the whole person. They experience that at a high rate. Um, you know, men typically are, are not allowed to be vulnerable, right? And admitting that I need help is a vulnerable process. And uh, like someone else had said earlier in the, in the military, being vulnerable could actually cause you your next raise, your next job, uh, job promotion. So I don't think we've been allowed to allowed to seek mental health from a cultural standpoint and allowed meaning we haven't had the, the ease and availability to do so. That's a, a perfect lead into another question I have for, for, for you guys. Tell me about we're talking about um, culturally appropriate ness of of mental health care how as i think about it i mean i'm remembering back 20 some years ago now when i walked into a therapist's office for the first time and i had to look at uh luckily he was male but he wasn't african-american and i had to get over that sort of um i had to make myself vulnerable and i spent the first couple of sessions kind of 
you know, half in it a little bit. I almost said something there. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't completely honest and open with him. So he had trouble figuring out what was going on. And it took two or three sessions for me to sort of trust him enough to know that I had to be honest and open if I was ever going to benefit from those sessions. And otherwise I was wasting money. But I want to talk to you guys and ask you about how culturally appropriate is mental health care? You know, first here in Northern California and then generally in the industry, are there enough mental health professionals that are black men that can serve black men like us who may be going in for services? What are your thoughts about that? Well, I, I could just jump in on that. I think that, well, one, there is an African-American mental health coalition here in Sacramento. So it's AHMHC um, that um, particularly if there is a, a, a pamphlet that has all African-American practitioners available and it shows their um basically it shows their resume even who who accepts what what types of insurances um but i think that um having that as one asset or one resource then there's also psychology today where you can view again their resume their bio as into what their what their specialties are on psychology today so and you can call and pretty much interview that therapist to see if they're a fit for you. So you have, as a consumer, you have that power to be able to now interview, um, you know, who who you're going to work with. And then you have, you know, your EAP programs, and then they give you a list of who is um, in their network. And then you can even see in that list who who it is that you want to work with, even within that list. So there's a lot more freedom of choice, but the consumers don't know that information. And so getting that information to them, yeah, I think is really key. And how how is that a fairly recent change or is, has, has have those resources been available for quite some time now? Because I, I, I knew nothing of a little bit, at least of what you just talked about. So are those fairly recent changes within the industry? Well, the the resource for African American Mental Health Coalition has been available for quite some while, even before I even well for at least twenty plus years, I should say that. Um, but as a clinician, I found that out because I'm a clinician. Mm. So to to be able to join that network, how that information is actually sent out uh, to the to the public to the you know, to all of the different hospitals, to the schools, you know, that's to be desired as far as how that information is put out. Um, but then as far as psychology today, also that's because I'm a clinician. Um, and it's funny because as a clinician, you would think, well, you would know those kinds of things. No, you're not taught those things until you enter into private practice and you have to search these things out as a clinician. Wow. So, so that's so it's has that been available psychology today? Uh, I didn't really know about psychology today until I actually started my uh, private practice, you know, some years ago. Um, but uh, I had to even seek that out. And and if you as a clinician weren't aware of it, it's reasonable to assume that lay people wouldn't wouldn't be aware of, of those types of resources. Um, Carter, your thoughts about that? Yeah, so I'm I see it in healthcare as a whole. Um, you know, the thing racism wouldn't play a part in 
and mental health would be naive because it plays a part in everything, right? So if you have culturally appropriate mental health care, um, if you have somebody, just for instance, for, for the times, to say that they don't believe black lives matter, just mm-hmm. like that. So would would you be able to then be forthcoming? Would you be able to build the rapport necessary to get true work done in the mental health space? That's difficult, right? And, and this is 2020, and we're still having that same debate, right? So historically in 1980, 1960s, how relevant do you think that statement would have been? And how many practitioners do you think would have valued that statement and valued us as people to be able to listen to us and to, to guide us through the journey? Not, yeah. <laughs> there I like been a lot of that time. I like to piggyback I mean, on that. Gotta, if we've got a clinician in 2020 that says, you know, he, he wasn't aware of things until he became a clinician, your layperson in 1965 would have had no idea. Resources are out there, that's for sure. Michael, Gann, I just want to touch base with you, with your lived experience. What would you have to say with the cultural appropriateness of mental health care? Or not? Well, back you know, when, I first started, when I first started looking for a, ther- a, a therapist, what? Actually, I didn't look for a therapist. It was, you know, a therapist was thrust upon me uh, when I went in, when when I went in for uh, in, inpatient uh, uh, care for uh, substance abuse. Um, uh, like I said, it was the therapy was thrust upon me. But as I once I got out once I got out of uh, inpatient care, I still needed to find my own my own therapist, and I, and I, I didn't know about looking 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 up anybody in any any directory, not even two one one Sacramento. And um, what I what what I would find would be that um, individuals, usually white, that would mostly talk down to me. I can, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't just come out and, you know, and, 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 and lay it all on the line. I actually, I'd, I'd actually try to try to figure out if they're with me, if they're, you know, if, if they're going to be honest with me. And like I say, based on, based on their, you know, certain comments, certain body, body language, you know, it, I, I was never trusting of them, and it took me. It took me a while to to get what get what I get what, what I was after, and it was also hard for me to say tell the people I, you know like in the VA I'm looking for a black doctor, I'm looking for a black a black therapist, you know, um, you know I'm I, I'm proud of being black, but when it, when it came to that, I just didn't think that no, anyone was going to truly understand, um, but I just I kept searching until I found, until I found them myself. Wow! Wow! We've we've alluded to, um, to to this final question for our discussion um, more so than ever with everything we're dealing with now with 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 um, you know shelter in place orders and we're being encouraged not to connect and we, we're huddling at home. I, you didn't use that word huddling, uh, Michael Gant, but I, I see that forty nine finger forty nine is behind it. So <laughs> energy come to me, but we're being encouraged to all huddle at home and not kind of reach out for resources. So. The final question I want to ask, uh, you know, the group for discussion is where can men of color come together um, to discuss mental health? I mean, obviously, Brother Be Well is one of those new platforms, but where can men of color come to talk about mental health? And most importantly for me tonight is are those resources available digitally? Can people still connect and get what they need in a digital world? Well, that's a huge that's a huge um issue. I think that physically 
you know, legally we can't gather together um, and admit anything like that, but via Zoom and these other social media platforms, uh, men are coming together, whether it be with um, fraternities, uh, different churches, um, and even, um, uh, I would say, even some of the hospitals, because I know, like with Kaiser, it's funny because I've been getting these different calls, and they just call you and just spring up and say, hey, we're having a, a, a conference call right now. We're, we're giving it towards African-American men and, and whatever the, the subject is at that particular moment, and uh, join our discussion right now. And so you're, you're in those kinds of, I guess, rooms virtually or via conference. Um, and, and at the same time now, too, I think with social media being what it is, there's uh, a plethora of, of chat rooms or groups, whatever they call them uh, these days, that are available uh, to participate in. But I think you still have to find them and seek them out. Um, other thoughts yeah, about to that, that question? Yeah. To that question, my pops, he turned uh, 60 last month. Not technolog technologically savvy by any means, but we because of the isolation it's a real it's a real issue so we had a zoom happy birthday cocktail hour and it went extremely well now we had to help him set it up right he had to have people um you know bring him up to speed but it went very well so i think that you know we are very um flexible and ingenuitive and resourceful and resilient all those positive attributes um and this is one of those things right they've taken the barbershop away from us Right. So where else can we find that? And and I think for this time being, uh, Zoom and digital platforms are here to stay. Uh, we can do our part. Right. Our ability to, to bring along the next guy and along our brothers with us to, to get up to speed. And are, are there thoughts about you made your audio went out on my end just a little bit, Carter. But are there thoughts about. The digital divide. We know that people of color are less likely to have a high-speed uh, internet connection in their home. Uh, black children in many communities are less likely to have access to the devices that they need to dial in, and families are less likely. So are there thoughts about how we may be able to bridge that digital divide or, or continue to do it? We're making progress, but continue to do it so that families and men who need to reach out to those digital platforms can do it. Off the top That's of my head, I'm thinking about all these uh, Chromebooks I got sent home with these kids for uh, for staying at home. So the schools are now giving out some sort something, right? It has to start somewhere. Yeah. But I, like I alluded to, I think my sound went out. We have to bring each other up to speed. Um, we have to to teach each other. I think that we are our best ally at all and so that to, we have to build the bridge that divide ourselves. That's a a great way. It's hard for me to believe that we're almost out of time, but that's a great way to wrap up. We've got to be resources for each other. And um, and we'll continue to do that through platforms like Brother Be Well. I want to thank everybody for for participating, especially Carter. You you mentioned, I hope you don't mind my sharing, but you're on vacation today and decided to <laughs> with us. So, man, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Carter Todd, president of the Capital City Black Nurses Association. We've got Dr. Michael Houston. Thank you, sir. 
one of our uh, clinical advisors for Brother Be Well, and then my brother, Michael Gant, who is also a contributing writer and a peer specialist for Brother Be Well. Um, if you've heard anything or, or any part of this conversation might have been of interest to you and you'd like to find out a little bit more about uh, Mental Health California, I would encourage you to go to the website, mentalhealthca.org. Uh, you can subscribe to our magazine there and you can check out progress on Brother Be Well. So I want to thank you for taking some time and listening in on this conversation. My name is Michael P. Coleman. And until I see you again, until we see you again, I want you to take care of yourself and take care of somebody else. Thanks. This has been the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. Shout out to our sponsors, Sutter Health and the Sacramento County Division of Behavioral Health Services through the voter approved Proposition 63 Mental Health Services Act. And don't forget our goals to reduce disparities, remove stigma, heal trauma, and to end prolonged suffering. If you have feedback on today's episode, tweet us at Brother Be Well or email info at brotherbewell.com. Click the subscribe button right now and plan to join us next time. Until then, be well, brothers. <laughs>